Good morning, everyone. This morning's reading is taken from the NIV New International Version, which will be up on the screen, I believe. Um, And if you want to follow it in the Bibles, it's on page 1937. It's taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling people is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Elaine, very much for reading for us. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word which illuminates our path and brings gladness to our hearts. Show us your beauty, your power, and your purposes once again this morning through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a question for you. How do you divide up your Bible? How do you split it up? Do you group it together by different books Perhaps the Gospels, the letters, the Psalms, the prophets. Maybe you just think about it as Old and New Testament. I mean, I've got one here. I think Old and New is, is divided up like that. Is that, that how you divide up your Bible? How do you divide up your Bible? Let me just suggest a different way of dividing up the Bible. How about creation and recreation as one section and the fall and redemption as the other. If we divide up our Bible like that, it would look a bit like this. Sorry, Martin, about the microphone. So that's creation and recreation down here, and the rest of it is the the fall and the redemption. 
actually splits the Bible for the first two chapters of Genesis as the creation, the last two chapters of Revelation as the recreation, and all the bit in the middle is the fall and the redemption. It's an interesting way of thinking about your Bible, isn't it? That is one possible suggestion. Food for thought. After all, the whole Bible lays out God's plan to unite all things under Christ. So it's not surprising that he should create everything and then recreate everything as all the details of his master plan are fulfilled. Well, our passage today deals with the end times. The posh theological word is eschatology. So when you get home, eschatology. Just mention that to the children. That'll scare them. It's an account of the end times as the current age concludes and the old order of things passes away. So let's just have a little bit of background about our series and the book. A background our series. Um, recall that we're working our way through the Bible. And uh, it's, our series is Whole Life, Whole Bible. And uh, we've reached 49 out of 50. So this is the penultimate one. Tom is doing the last one in this series next week. And uh, he'll be back to wrap the whole series up. As uh, Elaine mentioned, today's passage is from Revelation, and it's the account of the vision which the Apostle John saw whilst he was on exile uh, on the Isle of Patmos in Greece. He was an old man, and he had had this vision uh, as he was exiled on this Greek island of Patmos. John's vision is laden with symbolism, and it ranges right across time, looking forward to the final consummation, the completion of the redemption which God has accomplished through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. In this passage, we learn about the final stage in God's plan, the complete recreation of heaven and earth. The new heaven and the new earth will be familiar to us from the beauty of what we can experience today of God's world, yet refreshingly and astonishingly different. It's going to be physical, like now, and yet perfectly free from any blemish or defect. And it's going to be a full and perfect world. No pain, no suffering, no illness, no disease, no death, no injustice, no corruption. No malice. It sounds amazing. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm sure you are too. In our heart of hearts, we know that God's plan to achieve this is right. We all long for that happy ending. Don't all good stories end with, they lived happily ever after? Uh, Isn't this the result of almost all movies? when the hero and the heroine get on that white horse and ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. What about all the novels? Every novel ends with a happy ending, doesn't it? All the good novels, anyway. But let's put our longings and the world of fiction to one side, and let's look at God's word more closely. So today I've got four main headings as we look at this passage, and the headings are renewal, consummation, certainty, and purification. So we've got renewal, consummation, certainty, 
and purification. So let's go through each one and see what our passage teaches us. First up is renewal. We can see that in verse 1, when John sees this new heaven and new earth. And this picks up on a promise of renewal in the Old Testament as well. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, John sees this renewal happening as the old earth and the old heaven pass away and the new come down out of heaven from God. It's described as the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the city where the people of God live. This new city comes down out of heaven from God. And as we read on in our passage, in case you missed it, the voice of God himself from his throne tells us again in verse 5, loud voice, I am making everything new. It's God's activity. He renews everything. Back one verse in verse 4, we read that the old order of things has passed away. Out with the old, in with the new. New order will be radically different from our current experience. Mourning, crying, pain and death, which are our day-to-day experience. You just need to open the news or or think about a friend who's going through something. That's our day-to-day experience today. It's going to be abolished. These evils will pass away. So there we have renewal. John sees this radical renewal. Something totally different will come to pass. Second point is consummation. Our passage has that beautiful picture of the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven, beautifully dressed for her husband. The long-awaited wedding between Christ and his church is going to happen, and there's going to be a party, a wedding party, and much rejoicing. Not only this, but God himself is going to dwell with his people God will be with us and will be our God. This fulfills so many of the promises made to Abraham and others as God comes to dwell among his people forever. The experience which Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden with God walking with them, he was walking with them in the cool of the day, that's going to be restored in this new heaven and the new earth which is coming. Those who are victorious, who remain faithful to the Lord Jesus, will receive a place in the new heaven and the new earth. God will be their God, and they will be his children. The Lord's plan to redeem and save his people will finally be brought to completion. It's the consummation of God's eternal plan. So that was renewal. We've had consummation. Let's talk about certainty. This is not a fictional tale, a movie, or a novel which ends happily. This is God's word, the word that's faithfully recounted by the Apostle John and is preserved hard evidence for us to be certain about. John receives this revelation from the Lord Jesus himself. This is the risen Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross, who rose again, and the Jesus whose resurrection demonstrates his power. As we learn from that first chapter of John's gospel, the whole world was created by Jesus and for Jesus. He sustains all things 
by his powerful word. He is certainly able to recreate all things in line with God's ultimate plan. Our passage underlines this by recording the voice from the throne, and that's God's voice saying in a loud voice that he will dwell among his people. It's God's word spoken from his throne. That same powerful word which he spoke when he created light and all things, as we read about in Genesis 1, that same word tells us that God will dwell among his people. Also, in verse 5, the same voice from the throne commands John to record what he's saying and underlines, God himself says, this is trustworthy and true. Again, in verse 6, the Lord tells us that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning and he is the end. This is the eternal God who has the power and the authority to do all these things. So in summary, the passage gives us this rock-solid certainty that the things in John's vision will certainly come to pass. So fourthly and finally, purification. There would be no point in creating, recreating the world, the heavens and the earth, if sin and evil were to continue to be present. The only reasonable action is to remove all these, those elements so that they will never again affect God's people. All traces of sin and evil will be removed. Those who do not accept the forgiveness which the Lord Jesus offers and repent of evil will suffer the second death, which is the enduring torment of that fiery lake of burning sulfur. While in today's day and age, it's not popular to talk about the fate of those who will not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, Scripture is clear that eternal consequences await those who will not repent. It's a fact that God will not tolerate evil in his presence. As he will be dwelling with his people in the new heaven and the new earth, there's clearly no place for those listed in verse 8 who are unrepentant. After suffering that first physical death, they will endure that second death, which is the spiritual death. So, in summary, we can look forward to a new creation, renewed by God, perfect in every way, and also to his presence with us. The promises in Scripture will come to pass, and there will be consummation of all that has been written. This is certain. It will happen in due course at the time which God himself has chosen. The new creation will be pure and perfect, free from all evil and sin. What a wonderful prospect. So what now? How should we respond to these truths? I'd like to touch on two areas, personal encouragement and secondly, spur to evangelism. So let's talk about personal encouragement. We live in interesting times. There's a lot of turmoil out there in our world at the moment. Just look at the headlines. A brief survey will convince you 
Wars are underway. They're affecting the planet. Conflict in Ukraine jumps to mind. Sudan, Syria, Yemen, Niger. There are social problems affecting our nations. Drug addiction is at record highs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Deaths through overdose are staggering. Migration, how to respond. Those are headaches for governments around the world. Cost of living crisis is hitting the vulnerable very hard. So faced with all of this, it's easy to be discouraged and cast down. How will that war ever end? What can we do about those migrants who keep coming to our country? How can we afford to provide a decent health service to all our citizens? A new heaven and a new earth are coming. Our place is reserved. Our savior is reliable. We know where we're going. We can face all the earthly challenges here and now with optimism because of what God has done through Jesus. Excuse me. <coughs> because of God, what God has done through Jesus and what he's promised will be the final outcome. So no matter how dark our personal circumstances at the moment, how gloomy the outlook, the final result will be peace and joy in God's eternal kingdom. We will enjoy his presence and live lives which will be far, far better than anything which we can hope or imagine based on our experiences up to now. That is our future. This is the sure and certain hope on which we rely. So that's the personal encouragement part. The second part is the spur to evangelism. The reason we have this hope today and the reason that this present world is not yet brought to an end is God's patience. God is patient. He's a very patient God. He doesn't want sinners to die. He wants instead that everyone should be brought to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. The reason we're here is, and not yet in glory, is that there's a job to do. So let me share a personal experience. We talked about weddings earlier. Sarah and I were at a wedding on Wednesday afternoon. It was lashing rain, terrible. I, I was a bit late getting ready, so we were a bit late, and we were rushing into the... We got there in the end. Sarah nearly killed me, but it was, it was all right. It was fine. Uh, it was one of her former colleagues was, was getting married, uh, and so I met quite a few people at medical fraternity, so I met quite a few people at the event that I didn't know before, and I got chatting to somebody, and I'm going to call him Rob. Rob's in his mid-70s, and he's a retired general practitioner, just written a new book chronicling some interesting and humorous experiences as a GP for very many years. He asked me what I did. So I told him I'm a charity director of Japan Christian Link, a mission agency which was founded in 1903 to reach out to the Japanese people with the gospel. I mentioned that under 0.5% of Japanese are evangelical Christians, and so it's a massive mission field. And Rob mentioned to me that he wasn't a Christian, but he asked me what it was all about. So I told him that it was all about Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save people. He offers us this amazing opportunity to come and trust in him. If we do this, then all his goodness will be given to us, and our sin and evil will be put on him. We will be forgiven our sin, 
because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He offers us this swap because he came to save us and he loves us. His resurrection proves that he's got the power to save us from our sins. Rob then asked me about hell. Did I believe in hell? Uh, This is a real stumbling block for him, as how could a loving and kind God send people to hell? So I replied that God is perfect, and he cannot tolerate any kind of sin or evil. He has to deal with it. Hell is what is in prospect for those who will not come to faith in the Lord Jesus and ask for forgiveness. I apologized to Rob that hell sounded so bad, but told him it was a bit like warning children when crossing the road. If you get hit by a car, that's dangerous and life-threatening. Just because a child may not believe that roads and cars are dangerous doesn't make them any less so. It would be unreasonable of us, of me, not to warn a child that roads are dangerous and that she or he might get hurt. Similarly, hell is real, and it's important that people, including Rob, should take avoiding action as soon as possible. Just because someone doesn't like the idea of hell doesn't make it, unfortunately, any less real. I'm not sure what Rob thought of our friendly and low-key discussion. I tried to sound as reasonable and matter-of-fact as I could, but I also tried not to fudge or to duck the direct question which he'd asked me about hell. I'm not sure what Rob did after we spoke. I invited him to read a gospel account and to see what he makes of it, and I'm praying that he will read a gospel account and that the Lord will touch his heart. And I'm not at all holding myself out as a great evangelist, quite the opposite. If you'd been there, you would have probably been able to do far, far better than me to give a good explanation for the hope that you have. But my point is that we have a job to do. The Lord is patient. He doesn't want people to suffer that second death and to face those consequences. Our task is to hold out the hope which we have. Many may not take that opportunity, which is sad. But for those who do, the prospect of moving from eternal death in that fiery lake of burning sulfur to eternal life in that amazing new heaven and new earth is absolutely stunning. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which leads us into all truth. Thank you for your plan to renew all things and bring down a new heaven and new earth for your people to dwell in. Thank you for making it clear that your promises will be fulfilled in every respect. Thank you for giving us certainty through your word and for making it clear that nothing impure or sinful will mar your creation. Write all these truths in our hearts and give us personal certainty, we pray. Give us hearts which are constantly looking out to to share the reason for the hope we have with those around us who need to know and need to change. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.